Welcome to episode 18 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Zagari. And today we will be talking about the 11th Academy Awards, mainly Angels of Dirty Faces, which received three nominations, but no wins. Connor, did you know that if you search gangster film on your internet browser, a picture of uh, James Cagney pops up from this movie as Rocky? Did you know that? (laughs) That is beautiful and very appropriate. I did not know that. That's, that's because it's the official photo for the Wikipedia page for gangster films. Wow. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't know that until, you know, I was just kind of doing some research on him, clicking on random shit. Saw that, you know, here we are talking about this movie that uh, is kind of, um, you know, an underground type movie, right? We are covering the 30s here, uh, 1938. 1939 is uh, definitely going to be a lot of fun because we're going to choose a controversial film (laughs) and uh, it's a big year. But 1938, we decided to do something a little bit different, uh, something that maybe people haven't really heard of or seen. Right. And you and I, you and I hadn't really seen anything of James Cagney, hadn't really seen him work, you know, work his magic. So what we did was we watched this film and then we watched White Heat from 1949 and also some uh, other Best Picture nominees from, from 1938. We'll talk about those later. But Connor, yes, what was your, fir- what was your first impression of, of Angels with Dirty Faces? Um, well, I had heard the name of the film. Uh, I didn't know what it was about. Uh, I knew about the film mostly because of Home Alone, where Kevin McAllister watches the fictional film Angels with Filthy Souls, where you have a, yes. a James Cagney stand-in, you know, leave it on the doorstep and get the hell out of here, that guy. <laughs> and so that was all I knew about this. And then years later, uh, I saw that my family had a gangster box set collection from the 30s, and this was one of the films in that collection. And once we did it on the show, my God, Jim, Jimmy Cagney was a, like, a monster. That guy had screen presence like nobody else. That man, I, he's a weird-looking, kind of short, stocky dude, but you are fucking scared of him. <laughs> you don't know. I don't really yeah. know why. But there's something about him. He brings something to the movie that is like uncanny, something that no one else could had in the 30s and later in the 40s. He was, yeah, he was yeah. a star. Yeah, for sure. And you had texted me that, you know, he kind of carries these, right? Because yeah. we're, we're talking about, you know, these are the early stages of, of American cinema, right? And certainly the early stages of messing around with gangster films and, and figuring out what you can and can't do. And Cagney is so distinct his eyes are huge and you you just you can't escape like you can't escape him when he's on the screen you know no matter what he's doing and i you know this is my first time watching him just like you and so seeing these these two films angels dirty faces and white heat white heat is from 1949 so it is not from this academy awards the 11th academy awards we just chose it because it's you know one of his most famous roles and my lord white heat is an incredible film one of my favorite 40s films I've seen so far, and I, I highly, highly recommend it. But in, in what, yeah, in what, like, this is what we do, right? This is what we do the show for is to find these gems to kind of, you know, discover things for yourself and see the work, see, you know, see history. And Cagney is, is a guy that I, I just can't believe I hadn't discovered before, that I hadn't done the research for myself before, because he's so in my wheelhouse, right? He's, <laughs> he, he's kind of, you know, unpredictable no matter what. And from what I've read, he plays similar characters, but they're always awesome. You know, he just, he brings it every time. And again, this is during a stage in cinema when 
they're trying to figure out exactly what's what and how, what to do with the camera and how to be different. And, uh, you know, this is, this is, this is early, early stuff. This is well before you and I, well, well before you and I were born and well before, you know, most people who like movies were born. And so it's just fascinating to go back into this time and see these things. I, I, I for one have found that the thirties have a lot more to offer than, you know, I have given it credit for. And what we've done this week, uh, you know, Boys Town. I, I know you love that one. And I can't wait to talk about those. These are the gems we search for, right? Oh, totally. It's remarkable to really get to, you know, experience films that have been around for almost a century. And we're, you know, to, it's brand new to us. So it's, it's, yeah. it's a cool feeling to find something new that, you know, was already there. You didn't know about it, but, you know, people around you did. And, it just feels special to be a part of this discussion now, you know, to get to actually know what you're talking about when people say James Cagney. For sure. And I think you hit on something there that just resonated with me. Uh, and it's a thought I had while I was watching the film. And it's a thought I have a lot of time, a lot of the time when I watch these old films. And I, I know you've had these conversations maybe with, with, maybe with your grandparents where they know what's going on. They know their shit. And, you're having these conversations and when you just think about time and you think about, Oh, what's going to happen in the future. I, for one, and I know you feel the same way. I do not want this stuff to die. I do not want it to, to be lost. I don't want it to go anywhere. And, and sometimes, you know, because I never hear anybody talking about these movies that are our age, I feel scared for them. Like I feel scared for like the genre of jazz. I'm like, what is going to happen to it? What's really happening to these old movies? You know, do people really care? And it, it, it sucks, man. Cause <laughs> you really have one of those moments of, you, you know, this stuff that I really enjoy are other people enjoying it too. Cause it's, it's fucking gold, man. It's gold. There's gold out there in the thirties and forties. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we got to dive into deep, deep into 1948 and watch five movies that we, you know, had, had an opinion on. And like you said, could be a part of that conversation. And you and I don't want that to die. And that's, that's a huge part of this show is we do not want the history of this stuff to die or to, to be lost or to be forgotten. You know what I mean? I do. And when I think, you know, when that thought comes up, it, I, there is you know, oftentimes where I'm watching these films and I'm thinking, I am the only human being on earth watching yes. this movie. Yes. But, then I remember, you know, I think of the Criterion Collection and I think of the National Film Registry. And there are organizations who are dedicated to keeping these films alive forever. And yeah. that just warms my heart. It makes me think, you know, there are, there are going to be, you know, 100-year anniversary Blu-ray releases. There's going to be, you know, always going to be a niche market for these old films. And, I mean, we're doing a podcast about these films. I think that is enough to prove that somebody cares. Yeah, yeah, and we definitely want to take that on. <laughs> I, I definitely do. I, I want to be someone who's saying, no, it's, it's not just old stuff that's boring black and white films from these decades. There's some really, you know, great, great stuff. And you see a lot of the, you know, the storytelling we see today, you understand a lot more when you watch this old shit. And Angels with Dirty Faces, I mean, let's talk about gangster films for a minute. Okay. Obviously... We're, we're fucking 25-year-old dudes. Of course we like gangster movies. Like, whoa, what the hell? If you've listened to Filmgasm at all, you know that we did the Godfather trilogy 
early on in our filmgasm stages and we both have a serious adoration for you know the the, the films like Goodfellas, right? You know, the Scorsese uh, gangster flicks uh, and, you know, again, the Godfathers. And I love going back and watching these, these old school thirties and forties gangster movies, you know, the, the film noir era. Like I adore it. It's fantastic. They're, these are the building blocks of American cinema. This is where it all began. Like if any, you know, this is exciting stuff. This is finding, you know, the, the, uh, the cornerstone. It's, it's cool to see. And you can tell, like, you can find little things that are totally, you know, explored on in gangster films in the 70s and 80s. Like, this is, like, you know, I, I see, you know, what I saw a lot of Sonny Corleone in uh, Cadney's character in White Heat. Like, oh that my just gosh, polished, yes. you know, young gangster with a chip on his shoulder who wants to prove himself. That, it started with Cagney. <laughs> it's so fucking yeah. cool. Yeah, that's 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 the best stuff. You you definitely see. I mean, Joe Pesci, right? He's like, oh, yeah. I'm gonna take. I'm I'm taking some of that noise because he he's so unpredictable in both both films, White Heat and and Angels with Dirty Faces. He, these characters are like, you know, <laughs> whoa, this guy. Look how he's dressed. He's got he's got it going on. Reading the newspaper, and then all of a sudden, bam! You know, he's punching a guy in the stomach. You know, yeah. and he has that. He has that kind of swagger with the umph, I, I love it. You know, I, I adore it. It's going to be in gangster films forever. What are some more recent gangster movies? Cause I know it's a, it's a subgenre that's, that's, you know, tough. It's tough these days to really make a, a solid gangster movie. True. I mean, you know, there's the classics are always, you know, talked about Godfather, Goodfellas, the untouchables, but if we're talking yeah. like recent, um, they're, there have not been a lot of memorable ones. I mean, we both, you know, thought the Irishman was kind of underwhelming. Um, we did that way back on in uh, the Filmgasm podcast last year. Um, one that I thought was fairly underrated was uh, Killing Them Softly. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought that one was pretty badass. I didn't know why that one got a lot of hate. Um, I really like Lawless. Lawless is great. Yeah, yes. Yeah, Killing Them Softly is so stylized. I don't know how that got kind of just overlooked the past decade. Yeah, you got Brad Pitt as a mob hitman. You've got James Gandolfini in one of his final performances. That was a cool movie. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get what the hate was. And then Lawless kind of fell under the radar, too, where you got, you know, Tom Hardy, Jason Clark, and Shia LaBeouf playing the Bondurant brothers, who are, you know, bootleggers in the South. I mean, come on. <laughs> how do you not fall in love with that shit? Insanity. I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, it, it definitely is. Like you said, it's one of the cornerstones of American cinema and it will always be looked at as that way. And so many classic movies that are seen as, you know, how many times have you heard the Godfather's, you know, the Godfather part one or part two are the greatest films of all time. Like we heard it time and time again, Goodfellas, you know, <laughs> it's, and it's going to be, be said over and over again. And this is Angels with Dirty Faces is coming right, right in the middle of, you know, like the golden age of Hollywood. Right. And we, Last week, we talked about how, you know, that shit was out. You know, we're coming into a new wave. The Hayes Code's out and, uh, you know, The Graduate and Bonnie and Clyde, films like that, just take the youth by storm and the 70s then changes everything. And this is much different. This is right in the thick of all these rules coming into play and everything happening uh, with Hollywood that 
that you and I see as kind of like, oh, that's kind of shitty and shady and bribes are happening left and right throughout the 30s and 40s. And that's, that's, that sucks. But there are those gems, right? There are those performers like Bogey and Angels with Dirty Faces. Just a heat check performance. He's not on the screen a lot, but goddamn, he's good. <laughs> Bogey's one of the first character actors. And uh, yeah, so good at characters. But I look at a film like White Heat, for example, you know, there were there's those stipulations in the Hayes Code where, you know, crime can't yes. pay, you can't glamorize violence. White Heat gets away with that because of the way it tells the story. Because, you know, in the end, uh, he does not get away with it. Like, it's a violent end, but appropriate. But the, you, the journey makes sense because they don't waver. They don't, you know, kowtow to the Hayes Code, but they also, you know, they skim, they skid that line. And I, I, I like that. The best kinds of movies are the kind that don't play by the rules, I think. Yes, and, uh, indeed. When the rules are so heavily enforced, you really have to be careful. And there are films out there that really just didn't want to follow the Hayes Code. They were forced to, so they were smart about it. And yeah. um, like, for example, the Maltese Falcon is so full of innuendos and like subtle, you know, nods at the character. The, the villains are gay. They don't say it, but if you're looking for it, you can find that stuff. And yeah. Angel with Dirty Faces and White Heat and uh, even, you know, Boys Town, a lot of these films, they were right there. They had the, the little yes. nods that really, like, beefed up the story for the attentive viewers, but were also just, you know, vague enough to not be tracked by the Hayes Code. Exactly. And that's, ah, man, that's such an amazing thing to when you have the knowledge of it and to go back and watch these and kind of see if they're, Oh, Oh, there they go. They're kind of teetering on the line there. And Oh, that character's definitely being less condemned than that one, <laughs> you know, and, and those kinds of things. It's very interesting. And, you know, you and I have kind of been on this journey together. Yeah. And, and that's been, that's been amazing for me to have someone to kind of talk to and text throughout this journey of watching all these films throughout each week. And then, you know, coming here to, properly talk about it and you know give our give our thoughts on it you know this is a he heavy stuff you know we we're talking about gangster movies we we're talking about a certain era of hollywood that <laughs> that is massive and so many films are being churned out over and over right you know that's that was the way it was done back then was it was just non-stop bang 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 you know and you're you're really banking on some of these movies and i know angels with dirty faces really saved you know some of these people's career uh, obviously not the actors but uh, some of the people, some of the crew, uh, well, from what I've researched, it was a big deal that it was a success making, you know, a little over a million dollars, you know, and this is, we're talking about 1938. So that's a big deal back then. And I, you know, you have it on DVD, Angel with the Dirty Faces, you let me borrow it. And first 30 minutes I get in and I'm, I'm, oh, I'm really into this. I'm really digging this. That's the bogey scene happens and you're like, okay, here we go. You know, some stuff's going to be happening with Father Jerry here. Here we go. And then it just kind of, you know, doesn't quite know where it wants to go. Yeah. And, and then I thought about gangster movies in general. And sometimes that just happens. <laughs> sometimes, gang, sometimes gangster movies have, have its hand in so many places that it doesn't quite know where to go. And it's kind of funny how gangster films have taken from Angels with Dirty Faces, the good stuff and the bad stuff, it seems. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. That's a good point. There's a good point. There's a lot of uh, unnecessary subplotting in gangster films. Yeah. Where they try to yeah. humanize the bad guy in some capacity. In this one, they have him try to coach basketball. And, yes. Um, My favorite it's scene. Just, 
it's so weird. I think that's why I liked White Heat so much is because they didn't try. Like, they mm-hmm. straight up told you, like, all right, Jimmy Cagney's playing a monster in this one. He's insane. He's psychotic. He wants to win. He wants to be on top. He doesn't give a fuck what he has to step on to get there. But, you know, that kind of mindset has consequences. And yes, just to, uh, to get kind of a, an o- the overall Cagney experience, I also watched The Public Enemy. Oh, that's right, from 1931? Yeah, which actually predates the Hayes Code. So this was a pre-code yes. gangster flick. It was Jimmy Cagney's first uh, big starring role and kind of you know, put him on the, on the spotlight. So this film is way more violent, way more uh, just kind of grisly. I mean, the end of, this, the end of that film is fucking bonkers dark. And uh, I, I, I forgot for a moment, like, there's no way the code could, would have, like, would stand for that. And then I looked up and I'm like, oh, okay, it's before the code. <laughs> Pre-code. <laughs> this is Pre-code. probably why the code exists. They saw this movie and were like, no, oh my God, no. But, <laughs> the children, the children, the children yeah. can't see this. What are we doing? What are the children Call the papers. <laughs> Call the papers. What are we doing? And uh, my favorite thing about James Cagney is that he did the gangster films to pay the bills. That was just, you know, the money projects. He loved song and dance above anything else. That was his passion. He won his only yeah. Oscar for Yankee Doodle Dandy. Like, this guy was, you know, he's a song and dance man playing gangsters on the side. But these days, he is literally, you said, the face of gangster movies. <laughs> That's yeah, amazing. And, and you got to do the legwork to really know that. And I, I love that. I have a lot of work to do as far as gangster films go, especially this this old stuff. I have a lot of shit to watch. Yeah, me too. And I'm I'm excited I'm excited to be on a journey forever. But having having the baseline that I that I had, and then adding this Cagney experience and seeing Angels and and White Heat, it it gives me uh, even more you know space to have that conversation and talk with people who maybe are gangster film fans, you know, and and have that, oh, talk about Cagney. Maybe they can give me a recommendation on like their favorite Cagney performance. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And that's what I mean about, I do not want this stuff to die. So I also will, I, I know Public Enemy uh, is on um, Criterion now. So I'll try to watch that soon because I also would like to have a palette, right? You know, where I can have this perspective of Cagney's career because I really, really liked him in both the movies we watched, but more in White, in white Heat. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I look at this stuff as, you know, I mean, I do love watching films, but I also, you know, I adore talking about it. And when you talk gangster yeah. film, you know, it always comes back to Goodfellas and The Godfather. And I, I would like to, you know, talk about some of the, some of the lesser knowns, you know, Angels with Dirty Faces comes to mind. Early 2000s, you know, films like Road to Perdition. Like these, these gangster <laughs> movies that I don't think are as appreciated because the other ones are so damn good. Yeah. But it's just, it's fun to have that conversation because I know that, you know, I'm a movie fan, so I know how movie fans think and they love fucking talking about movies. <laughs> and they yes. look oh, the, yeah. the better oh, yeah. the conversation. So, you know, I think this just adds to that. It's fun. Yeah. And, you know, we've done so many monstrous, amazing, amazing films on this show. And it, it's just, you know, we're going to keep, keep people guessing and keep ourselves guessing uh, and try to keep these episodes as different as possible week in week out and do like you said do some more movies that are kind of like underground you know that are not as well known and but are gems and i know we both 
have our issues with Angels with Dirty Faces as a film itself within, you know, that hour and 37 minutes. We have our own, you know, qualms with it, but the, I have so much respect for it, for what it means to the, the genre of gangster films. Yeah, so do I. I think, you know, its impact on the whole subgenre is still felt today. I mean, you still see characters that come out of these tropes because, you know, these tropes were established for a reason. You've got, yes. you know, the hot-headed gangster and the, you know, level-headed friend who went on to a better life. You've got the femme fatale. All these people keep coming back because, you know, it's a template. But it's all about how you work the template. And yes, exactly. I love seeing, you know, every director, I love seeing them put their mark on a gangster film. For me, it's a rite of passage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. It is. If you can, and, and, and you know, especially, yeah, as time moves, moves along and keeps going, if you can pull off the, you know, film noir, that whole bit. Yeah. Props, you know, that's, that's not easy. You know, if you can do, if you can do what Jack Nicholson's doing in Chinatown, hats off to you, you know? <laughs> that's, that's some cool shit. It's, a, it's definitely a rite of passage as a performer. Like, oh, you just implemented yourself into this genre that has had so many wonderful performers touch it. And that, that's, that's a special place to be. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about the 11th Academy Awards. Uh, Angels with Dirty Faces, three nominations. They're all big ones, though. Yes. Uh, that'd be Best Original Story, Best Director, and Best Actor. So we'll, we'll start with story uh, because we have a bit of a perspective on this one outside of Angels with Dirty Faces. Uh, I'll let you take it away, Connor. Best Original Story is an Oscar that is no longer offered. Uh, it's now split between original screenplay and adapted screenplay. But uh, yes. back in the day, it was you know, overall just best screenplay and then story credit went to somebody else. And um, Best Original Story, we have Test Pilot, Mad About Music, Blockade, Angels with Dirty Faces, Alexander's Ragtime Band, and the winner, Boys Town. So, Boys Town deserved this big time, I think. Uh, I think it's got a brilliant story. I think it's got a well-told story and a timeless kind of, you know, heartwarming story. Angels, Angels with Dirty Faces, I feel like, is not that strong in the story department. I think that its biggest strength is its performances. Yes, 100%. And the rest of these films I cannot speak for because I did not see them. but. Boys Town is one of the films we did uh, watch from this Oscars, as well as The Adventures of Robin Hood and You Can't Take It With You. Yes, and, uh, the winner, yeah. We'll talk more about those uh, as we get further into the awards. Um, Boys Town, my Lord, was such a great movie. <laughs> but, yeah, and doesn't, doesn't, it, doesn't it make you want to see these other movies just to give it that chance? Yeah, you know, you, absolutely. You're like, you're like, holy shit, Boys Town was great. You gave it a nine on your review. I would give it an eight. We both obviously really enjoy it. And I'm like, well, maybe, maybe Alexander's Ragtime Band is fucking awesome too. And you know, it, it just goes to show if you're willing to just fucking, again, I've said this before, but put your net out there and, and just reel it in. And I, you will get some good stuff no matter what year you're in. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, they've been making good movies and bad movies since the beginning. It's yeah, all about exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, I definitely want to see, you know, Test Pilot, Mad About Music, Blockade. But the two that we have seen, 100%, it goes to Boys Town. It's such a well-crafted story, one that certainly influenced a lot of movies that we like, right? Um, not so much coming-of-age movies, but 
but movies that that use youth uh not not in that kind of cheesy way but use youth for for the story truly for the story like um uh so, some movies come to mind i'm trying to think of some more recent ones even even like uh like a film like that's more more intense from like nowadays like boy erased where you're really in a place you're in a place and you're with these people and it's these specific perspectives and it's just fucking impactful when you go through that, you know, over time when you're, you're kind of stuck just like the characters are, but I liked being stuck with them. Uh, this movie could have kept going and, you know, Mickey Rooney, Jesus Christ. <laughs> the fact that he was not up for supporting actor is amazing. Like he should have won. I, I couldn't it, sh- believe. it shows it shows no no balls from the academy early on uh 11th academy awards he was 18 i believe when that movie came out so uh, if if that if that happened today he'd be up he'd win you know if that performance happened today with someone young like you know lucas hedges timothy chalmay you know those kind of cats like they just win but they i don't know they, it was too early i guess like they, they didn't want to make that risk like oh he's so young but he he totally deserved to be to be up and maybe even when uh, I haven't seen these other films, but I loved Mickey Rooney's performance. There actually is a sequel to Boys Town, uh, called Men of Boys Town from 1941. Spencer Tracy and Mickey Rooney both reprise their roles. Three years uh, later, okay. Gonna have to track that one down because I would like to see more of this world. And uh, yeah, that movie, yeah, it's, it's a blast. Learning the story of Father Flanagan was so touching. He was such a good human being at a time when nobody gave a shit about youth, about these boys. They were like, well, you know, they're already rotten apples, so fuck them. This guy was like, no, we can help them. We can help these kids. They deserve help. And yes. yeah, that was this village in Nebraska that is still active that just, you know, helps the local wayward youth. People, you know, go there if they got nowhere, nowhere else to go. And, um, He's actually canonized as a saint. <laughs> That's fantastic. Pretty cool. So, yeah. And Spencer Tracy was just the perfect guy to play that character because he's always had this really noble oh, yeah. characters. And, uh, yeah, Boys Town was great. Next time we go to 1930, if, I'd like to talk more about that one. That's probably the one we'll choose, yeah, next time we come back around to really hone in on it. Now, r- real quick, though, um, if, you, if Boys Town were made today – we're not going to recast the whole thing, but Spencer Tracy's character. Who, 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 who's playing him, you know, today? Um, Denzel Washington. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Father Flanagan, Denzel Washington. Yep. <laughs> uh, Irish black priest. I'll take it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, when you can, it kind of plays off Shawshank, right? Cause you got the, you got Morgan Freeman. Denzel is just, yeah, he's just so good at playing, you know, good people. And I'd like to see that. But, you know, I could, I could go, you know, maybe I could see De Niro. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Maybe not, Tom Hanks maybe when he's a little older. I still don't okay. see him. Okay. I don't know. He just, he looked great for like in his 60s. I know that's weird, but when he's older. <laughs> Denzel Washington looks great for yes, how old he is. God damn, man. <laughs> And it's hard to step into Spencer Tracy's shoes. I mean, that man was unique. That's why I asked. I was just curious. I yeah. was curious to see if there's someone today that could even try. <laughs> It'd be tough, regardless. Any role, any role. You know, of course, we talked about him a bit last week, right? Uh, you know, he's just 
with um uh guess who's coming to dinner and he's yeah he the guy's just incredible every time i see him i kind of understand more and more like why he has all the you know all the acclaim i i get it (laughs) (laughs) me too man he's yeah unreal and speaking of spencer tracy that uh let's talk about best actor (laughs) yes 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 we have leslie howard for pygmalion robert uh donat or donat i hope it's not donut for the citadel (laughs) uh james cagney for angels with dirty faces Charles Boyer for Algiers, and the winner, Spencer Tracy for Boys Town. Since we didn't see these other three films, this is a battle between Spencer Tracy and Jimmy Cagney. Who do we, who do we want? <laughs> this is tough. This is really tough because Spencer Tracy, we just you know, hype, talked him up, hyped him up. He's, he's amazing, and he's the right guy for the role and just doing his job. And it's, but, but then you've got Cagney, on the other hand, who's just – fucking bonkers and it's one of those it's one of those oscar performances that's like that was fucking different you know and (laughs) and 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 i love those right you know kind of like joker for joaquin it's like whoa you know it kind of just catches your eye when you see a performance like that amongst these other oscar nominations and uh, but but i still got to give it to tracy he's just so damn solid throughout the movie whereas cagney is sometimes dealing with less lesser uh story to work with maybe tracy this was his uh this was a back-to-back win he did win the previous year for captain's courageous so yeah one of those rare you know back-to-back acting wins does not happen often and i would still give it to tracy for boys town but i would give cagney the oscar for white heat i think that was a much stronger much more just wild performance yeah i'm very curious when we do uh, approach the year 1949 you know i'll have that in mind for sure because that movie fucking ruled and <laughs> again it's, it's it's one of my favorite 40s movies i've seen so far like I, I gave i would give that one a nine i think it's just fucking stellar <laughs> made it my top of the world <laughs> ah, those explosions look amazing just 1949 the- what the fuck that movie looks so good for <laughs> That's the shit that, that that movie does the stuff in, that you don't expect movies to do in the 30s and 40s where it's just fucking sharp and just on its, on its fucking, you know, P's and Q's. It's awesome. Love that movie. Because of, you know, film got so gritty after the, after the 70s. Once the Hays Code was gone, people were finally, you know, just doing whatever the fuck they wanted. You forget that there were some movies with balls prior to that. Mm-hmm. White oh, Heat yeah. is one of those movies because that movie, I mean, the ending is basically just, you know, Cagney going like, I am not going to jail again. Fuck this. It's my life. I'm going out my way. I'm on top. I'm going out on top. Like, without hesitation, you start shooting the fucking gas. <laughs> ah, that was great. Fucking, I'm glad we added fucking that. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, again, it's my favorite thing we watched this past week. But we do have a very interesting film to watch for filmgasm, so. That might change soon. That is true. It, you know, I know this is off topic, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. The Who cares? We put a lot of effort and a lot of work into building a good show here. So we have a lot of film we, we watch every week. And sometimes it is hard to, to realize that it has only been a week since we did In the Heat of the Night. Like we yeah. shove it into so little time that it, like, I feel like I've been in Cagney mode for a month. <laughs> 
I, I totally so know what you mean. I totally know what you mean. And then you're here talking about it. You're like, oh, shit, it's happening. You know? Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. next week, <laughs> something completely different. Week after that, completely different again. It's just so, so weird to me. It, yeah. And we're, and we're, we're always going to be working on crafting the exact, you know, formula we want. But right now, we feel as though a base of one movie where we can really hone in on, obviously, in this case, Angels with Dirty Faces. And then a few other films to just kind of have a perspective. I think that's, I think that's respectable. You know, if I'm listening to someone, I I would like for them to have perspective on all kinds of other shit. So we're trying to do that here and uh, bring you on a ride with us. And we're hoping that you can find your way to some of these films as we're watching them too. Uh, Because, you know, this is just what it's all about. It's just having the conversation. Yeah. I mean, we can't, you know, declare Angels Dirty Faces as, you know, Cagney's definitive gangster film if we haven't seen other Cagney gangster films. There's just, you know, that's, that's logical. That's yeah, why we're we gonna, brought we're in. Exactly, and why you watch Public Enemy and why we're going to keep checking them out and keep, keep our eye out for Cagney. And like I said, when 1949 rolls around on this show, uh, that'll be, you know, months from now. But when it does, White Heat will come back up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it will. Oh. <laughs> and again, you know, if we can't declare, you know, Angels with Dirty Faces didn't deserve Best Picture, if we don't look at the other films that were up against it, we look at the winner, you know, you can't take it with you, which we have, I think, some mixed feelings on. So let's get into that. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. For Best Picture, we have Test Pilot, Pygmalion, Jezebel, Grand Illusion, Four Daughters, The Citadel, Boys Town, Alexander's Ragtime Band, The Adventures of Robin Hood, and the winner, You Can't Take It With You. So obviously, we are not going to be able to shove 10 films into one week. That would be insane, and our show would suck. So we picked some classics. Uh, next time we come around to 1938, we'll, probably, we'll do the other ones. So we picked... Yeah, you know, well, and also, also the film we chose is not in this bunch. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, uh, for instance, we did, a, we did an episode on, on Fight Club. Our, our focus wasn't necessarily around the best picture group because it wasn't there. Yeah. We were just kind of seeing, we were kind of seeing maybe it should be. And so for this one, you know, it, it caps off at that best director, you know, for Angels with Dirty Faces. Like, that's it. It's not up for best picture. So we had to, we had to choose yeah. some classics, like you said, because the one wasn't even inside that group. Yeah. It's, uh, do you think it should have been? Uh, it's hard to say there's a lot of movies here and I would imagine that they're not all better than angels, the dirty faces, but I can't say the ones we watched, I would say are either on par or better than angels, the dirty faces. So it's not taking the three spots from the ones we watched. True. True. Um, before we get into that, I kind of jumped the gun a little bit. Let's talk about best director. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, which is very interesting because Michael Curtis, the director of Angels of Dirty Faces, nominated twice here, directed three films in 1938. This fucking guy. <laughs> That's how, dude, it was, a, it was a revolving door. It was just, you know, they had, you picked a, stu- you, you picked a studio lot, you filmed your shit, you moved on. Like, it was ridiculous. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we have, for best director, Michael Curtis for Four Daughters. King Vidor for the, Citad- the Citadel, Norman Torog for Boys Town, Michael Curtis again for Angels with Dirty Faces, the winner, Frank Capra, you can't take it with you. Um, ye- I don't know. Um, 
I think we should see in that uh, in that bunch. One second here. Well, yeah, I would um, love to see the Citadel and Four Daughters. Yeah. But for best director, I can't believe. Well, again, Michael Curtis and uh, William Cayley for The Adventures of Robin Hood. I mean, that is a film that is very much, you know, a lot of moving parts, a lot of, you know, telling a grandiose story, directing sword fights and just, you know, battle scenes. Like, there's a lot that went into that movie. So I'm, I'm surprised that Michael Curtis wasn't up for that one. Uh, but, you yeah. Know. Two out of three. Two out of three. Yeah, they can't just give Michael Curtis five nominations. That would be ridiculous. But... <laughs> And the winner is, oh, it's Michael Curtis. <laughs> I think... He only, he only had a 60% chance of winning, yeah. I do... I, do, I am okay that Frank Capra took this, because I really like You Can't Take It With You. Uh, and Frank Capra is just so good at making heartwarming, like, stories about kind of restoring your faith in humanity. Yep. <laughs> and that's yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with this one. You know, he's kind of the golden boy at this time. This is his third best actor, or sorry, best director win. 11th Academy Awards. Three out of 11 go to Frank Capra. That's pretty <laughs> impressive. You know, this guy is definitely one of the original, you know, legends of the game here, here in the United States. And like you said, he just knew how to go from, just simply go from scene to scene in the most precise and entertaining way. We've already, and, and, you know, only 18 episodes in, we've already talked about one of his films. It happened one night, which he won an Oscar for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was, you know, the first big five winner. You know, it makes sense that it was Capra. He, he was their guy. He was the Oscars guy. They were like, oh, thank God. At least Capra's making these great movies that we can bank on. And it is a very good film. But, but for me, I got to go Norman Turok for, for Boys Town. He, he, I, that film, again, we could talk about it all day, and I think that's the one we're going to choose <laughs> next time we come to 1938. It is, it, 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 that movie moves with some grit, some fucking grit. And I respect that. I like that. That's more my style. But yeah. I totally understand Frank Capra winning. I, I don't have a problem with it. I just, if I were voting, I'd vote for Norman. Fair enough. And, uh, you know, I got no problem with that. I thought Boys Town was amazing. And uh, yeah, let's talk about great. those three films that we watched in, in, on pair with Angels Dirty Faces. Uh, Let's start with let's start with Robin Hood. Okay. So we have Errol Flynn, famous for you know being a swashbuckler action star, kind of you know the successor of Douglas Fairbanks, the guy who embroiled himself in scandal day in and day out because it was like it was just who he was. He lived for bad press. Yes. <laughs> he didn't give a fuck, Errol Flynn, and he's yeah. I I've seen a lot of Robin Hood movies. Most of them are shit. I think. This is probably my favorite version of this story now. I really like oh, it. It's easily my favorite. I think, yeah, I think you're being kind of generous. I think most of them are pretty shitty. And there's, there's like BBC TV shows all over the place and just all kinds of different. The Disney one's pretty cool, right? You know, Robin Hood lived, John walking through the forest. Like, that's good. That's fun. But the live action ones usually, usually blow pretty hard. <laughs> And this one, this one's actually got pretty good choreography. The sword fights are actually like believable and pretty good. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed this movie. I, I think I would give it. I think I would give it an eight, a solid eight. I gave it an eight as well. I watched this uh, while back, just on a whim, and I was like, "This is cool." 
<laughs> yeah, it was fun. You know, that's that's a movie we chose a week ago, and we're like, hey, this is what we're gonna do uh, for this week. We're gonna this is the one you own it, so you just let me borrow it. And uh, yeah, I, I had a good time with that one. Yeah, availability is a big uh, check mark in the way we pick movies. <laughs> yeah, well, well, actually, let me say the movie I want to see most out of this group is 100% Grand Illusion. It's got to yeah. be. You know, it's a film that's come up before on this show and it's got, you know, just all this shit around it that I want to unpack and really find out and watch the film, uh, you know, to have our own perspective on it. So that, that'll be something we'll keep our eye out on next time we come back to 1938 as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, that takes us to Boys Town, which was my personal favorite from this bunch. I was so, I mean, I knew this was going to be good, but oh my God, I did not expect to, it to be what it was. I didn't. I really didn't. I, I judged this movie pretty hard the first time I like looked up, you know, I, Spencer Tracy's great, but I was just like, oh, this looks like one of those 30s movies that's just like, you know, and jolly good show, and we're gonna just, you know, figure it out. And But it wasn't. It wasn't. It's poignant as fuck. <laughs> and there's a few, there, there's the scene, you know, and I wouldn't say that this would spoil it, especially if you had no idea out of context, but Connor, the peewee scene. Good Lord almighty. I love when Mickey Rooney, an actor, but in this case, Mickey Rooney, just belts it out and goes for it and feels every bit of emotion that we felt the entire film. It's so beautiful. And it's part of why I love this art form, why I love this medium is... You can take a film that's whatever, hour and a half, two hours, and build and build and build. And when a character is able to break like that, it's just, it's so rewarding. And it just shatters me. It reminds me so much of Paul Dano's outburst in Little Miss Sunshine, which we covered a few weeks ago. I, I, I adore scenes like that. And they just, they, they give me chills and obviously hype me up. I, I love what Mickey Rooney is doing in this movie. And it's definitely my favorite of the ones we watched. Certainly deserved it. Uh, deserved best picture from what I know. Well, I've always pictured Mickey Rooney as, you know, a goofball. It was kind of just, you know, like the, you know, almost like the, uh, I don't know, pick like a, like a Mike Myers kind of guy. Like just a goofy yeah. early Hollywood comedy, you know, guy who was, you know, thrown into different musicals and comedies, but never really taken seriously. And then I see this and I'm like, why have I not heard of what this guy can do i had no idea he was capable of going there and it's such a dramatic mm -hmm. out of nowhere scene and this kid's so damn likable peewee's just such a charming little guy and <laughs> whitey is so just like get the fuck away from me kid but then when it happens all of that's you know the the, the facade falls away and yes, yes whitey's human and he's like you know oh my god what have i done it's oh god and then he feels that way the rest of the movie. It completely destroys yeah. all of the you know bravado he's been building over this over the course of the film. It all just gets wiped away, and it's amazing. And his you know his back and forth with Spencer Tracy is great. All the all the kids are great performers. It was yes. it was such a great movie. <laughs> yeah, man, and that's that's something that I thought was really interesting. Uh, the the parallels of Boys Town and Angels with Dirty Faces is you have these two male characters and and they're rallying around some some like younger characters like youth like young males but in just to obviously totally different environments but i thought that was interesting and 
in Boys Town, I, I love when you're able to get a group of, you know, young people to act together and, and do it well. And of course, people like it too. You know, Stranger Things is pretty popular. <laughs> people people kind of dig that stuff. But but in Boys Town, it's it's there's some there's some fucking magic happening between those 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 kids and mainly from mainly from Mickey Rooney as Whitey. Uh, yeah, damn shame he's not for Best Supporting Actor. I really do think a performance like that in this day and age, they just wouldn't give a shit how old you are. Uh, when you're acting like that, it's just, it's it's so so hard to ignore. Well, and he's he's really funny at times too. Like yes! They, oh my god! The scene where like, uh, Mark Mark Wahlberg or something like yeah. what the fuck? Like at the be- the first you know few moments you see him, you're like, I, this guy's a fucking prick. <laughs> well, when Whitey and that other kid are hauled into like the disciplinary meeting for uh for fighting. And the yeah. guy's like, all right, I want you two to make up, shake hands. And Whitey's like, yep, shake the hand that's going to milk 90 cows, kid. <laughs> Just yeah, I love that. The little sarcastic, like, barbs. You mean, so funny. You mean he holds his <laughs> hands up for, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's great. He's great. And yeah, I, I highly, highly recommend it. I think of all the films we've, we've talked about, you know, I loved, loved White Heat. But of this group, it's just, it's hands down. Boys Town's my favorite. Yeah, absolutely. I was... I love when I find a nine. It's so rare, but when I do find one, I'm just like, oh, I know, I know. Yeah, it's a good feeling. You you find that one that certainly could be a, become a ten one day, right? Uh, with a few more watches and getting more attached find this to, one out to those a, characters. If I ever find this one out and about, I'm gonna buy it, like hands down. If oh, I ever find it. oh yeah, me too. And I hope I do. Um, and that takes us to you can't take it with you, the big winner of the eleventh Academy Awards. Frank and, Capra. Uh, Frank Capra, another winner. He is, uh, this is kind of a reverse It's a Wonderful Life in that Lionel Barrymore is playing such a noble, heroic character and James Stewart is the son of a family of, you know, cheap snobs. It's, it's a little weird if you're a fan of that movie. But uh, it's a simple enough story. Uh, a family of eccentrics, um, their granddaughter falls in love with the son of a prominent uh, tycoon. And the two families meet, and the, the snobs do not like this family. They think they're, you know, out of touch with reality, and they're not worth their time. But I've, over the course of the film, you know, uh, A.P. Kirby, the big tycoon, starts thinking, you know, yeah, I'm rich, but, you know, they're happy. <laughs> and it yeah, really you know, yeah. pulls into question, like, you know, what, what does wealth really mean? How, you know, a man can only be measured by how much he's loved, that kind of thing. And it's a very, I thought it was a very touching, heartwarming story. Uh, I'm okay with it taking Best Picture. I do think it should have gone to Boys Town, but I can see why they picked this one. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God, for sure. Especially in this, this day and age, right? 1938, this is a movie that, similar to uh, It Happened One Night, where it's just, it's just kind of this foundation, like, oh, okay, that's how you do it correctly. You know, it, and Frank Capra, uh, you know, we can talk, we're going to talk about him always on this show as we go back to these early stages of the Oscars because he's just there all the time. So when we are, yeah, when, when, we're, in the, when we're in the 30s, 40s, just always going to happen. He's <laughs> just fucking there. Uh, you know, he's, yeah, he's a golden boy. And I, I understand it. I'm not, I've, I, like, I don't really feel the need to rewatch this one. Um, it's not really in my wheelhouse uh, necessarily. And I didn't find it to be 
that humorous either. Whereas it happened one night, I, f- I find to be quite, quite funny and quite quick. And I really like some of the dialogue. Here, I was more like, you know, and this is because I'm a 25 year old guy. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I've seen this a million times. And, you know, you have to have the lens of, hey, it's 1938. This film was kind of like, hey, like I said, this is how you do it correctly. So you have to, you know, watch it with context. But I, I also don't have a problem with it winning, and I understand it winning Best Picture. I, I just think Boys Town, now that it's been, you know, so many years later, it, it's just a better movie overall. Yeah, I, I, I never seen there were. I thought this was pretty funny personally. There were times like, like the Russian dance teacher, you know, when AP Kirby's like, oh, I don't, you know, that gives me a stomachache, and he's like, oh, it's probably ulcers. He's like, no, it's not. He's like, you wait, <laughs> you wait and see. <laughs> just. And then he just picks that him up and starts wrestling with him. Like, that was fucking hilarious, I thought. There were that times where I was slapping my ass off. And there's something I love about Jimmy Stewart. Like, he was just such a such a cool, like, you know, presence. Like, whenever I saw him, I'm like, all right, this is probably going to be pretty good. And uh, he, he is never seen, pretty amazing. I had never seen Lionel Barrymore in this context either. I always knew him as, you know, the evil Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. So I had no idea that, you know, mm-hmm. He, he, he could play such a kindly man. And it was really nice to see that. Just the scenes where, you know, uh, Barrymore just lets Kirby have it. And just like, you know, you are, the, you're the poor one. Like you have nothing and I have everything. So get that through your head. Like when he just goes off, it's, and to see, you know, AP Kirby make that decision of like, you know what? He's right. It's a, it's a nice, it's, it's cool. To, you knew it was coming, but it's so good to see. Yeah, I love yeah, those moments. No, yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, we were, we were texting a bit back and forth, and you, 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 we kind of were like, "Oh, we'll agree to disagree." That you, 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 and it's not even that. You just enjoy the the sentiment of this stuff a bit more than I do. I do. Uh, it's no, it's no secret if you've listened to film guys and or, or here on Oscar Sunday that some some of my taste is not is not for everybody, <laughs> and and that that is that is okay because. We, we like everything here and we, we bring everything with open arms until it's shitty. Then we shun you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but I do find it, I do find it interesting that spring, uh, spring Byington is the only uh, performer up from, you can't take it with you. That's interesting. That was weird. That was weird. I would have absolutely given Lionel Barrymore a nod. I would have given Jimmy Stewart a nod. Edward Arnold. I thought uh, Gene Arthur, like there's a, there's a lot of great performances in this movie, and I'm surprised that that was the only one that grabbed it. Usually an yeah. ensemble piece like this, especially in the 20th yeah. century, would just be sprinkled across the Oscars. Well, yeah, especially since you see it when Best Picture and Director. It reminds me of a certain movie called Parasite. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no nominations in the acting categories. I, I, that's, always, that's always really interesting to look at because it has happened a few times, and obviously right here we just have one from that film. But it's it, it's lasted, you know, through through time, and it, it is timeless. It'll be one of those kind of like it happened one night. It's one of the first big one of these kind of you know romance, you know, the the rom com that you know almost highbrow rom com where there's actually really good directing and good cinematography going on and really awesome performances. And they're lovely movies. They're entertaining. They're definitely worth a watch. I just don't uh, see myself like. Like you said, Boys Town, you'd buy. Yeah, I really want to buy that one. I, I, I'm not sure if I would 
jump out of my seat to buy you can't take it with you i think i would i liked it i was i don't know so capra i just that's I, why we do it that's uh, why we do this you mentioned it being strange that this would win uh picture and director and not have any uh, acting nominations we need to do the film grand hotel because yes. that movie yes. was only up for best picture and it won <laughs> and that is weird and, uh, and that's it and that's it that's very weird yeah ah. <laughs> the, uh, the oscars so much so many odd occurrences over the course of you know 92 award shows <laughs> it's well yeah it's yeah <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. We're just gonna we're gonna jump around to each one until we knock it all ninety two and just fucking do it again. <laughs> so many movies, so little time. <laughs> and uh, I think that takes us to Angels with Dirty Faces. Uh, we have an IMDb score of seven point nine and a whopping hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, with a twenty two review count, uh, ninety two audience score. So this is pretty uh, pretty celebrated film. Um, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Again, <laughs> if you go on fucking Wikipedia and look up gangster film, the big picture on the top right corner is is this movie, is Angels with Dirty Faces. Now, obviously, you and I don't totally agree with all of that. True. Uh, you gave it a seven, and I would agree with that. I think it could maybe get to an eight, but I, just, I, had, a, I had issues with the transitioning and the editing, and it's not, it's not nearly as precise as those other movies we talked about, for me anyway, and... Uh, and it, it severely underuses Humphrey Bogart. Yes. I, I adore, adore the P-check performances of, of, you know, the Oscar history. You know, one that stands out from a history of violence, William Hurt. He's in the movie for like whatever, eight minutes. Or, you know, Mahershala Ali, who has just these quick bam, bam, bam in Moonlight. I love when that happens, but Jesus Christ. When you got Bogey at this time in his career, use him more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Use him more. He's so good. And him and Cagney, they both, they're, they both use their face a lot. And they're both very good with using their eyes. And so when they're, not, when they're on the screen, yes, yes, exactly. When they're on the screen together, it's, it's pure magic. And it's two guys that it doesn't matter what the script is, they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. And there should have been more scenes between them two. Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I like the idea of, you know, a gangster and his friend who is a priest now because he went the right way in life, you know, trying to help, like, you know, uh, the gangster wants to kind of, you know, have a better life. Maybe he sees these kids as a way to, you know, try again. That's a great story. Another great story is a gangster gets out of prison and goes to talk to his friend who said he'd have a business opportunity for him, but was really trying to fuck him over the whole time. That's a great story too. You combine these stories and it doesn't really work that well. Yeah. I don't I mean, considering yeah. the rate Hollywood was churning these out, this could have been two movies. <laughs> uh, yeah, hundred percent. And today would just be like a, you know, four part mini series <laughs> <laughs> that would go, that would come out on Netflix. Cause that's how we do things these days. Uh, for, for sure, man, that's the main problem, right? Is there's fundamental things that are just, just what's going on here. And, you know, the bits with the dead-end kids uh, you know, are really good. My, I love the basketball stuff. You know, I'm a huge, huge basketball fan. Uh, I, I agree with you. I don't think they're great performers. But the scenes with them aren't, you know, they're fun. They're entertaining. And they're not as good as the Boys Town directors, Jesus Christ. But, but you know, they're, they're creating an atmosphere that's really interesting. And the basketball scene is just fucking hilarious. 
Yeah, but I don't know. It kind of sucked me out of it, the basketball scene, because it just like I didn't really, I couldn't tell what was going on at times. It was moving so fast, uh, and I just I wanted more of this, you know, kind of brewing war between Cagney and Bogey. I mean, a, oh, yeah, a gang me war movie between those two titans. How do you ignore that side of it? That would be the coolest movie ever. But, well, yeah, because Bogey, Bogey is clearly great at playing the kind of like, oh, fuck, you know, kind of panicking, like, oh, I got to try to stay in front of this, you know, situation. Kind of like Howard Ratner in, in Uncut Gems. Like, oh, fuck, 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 here we go, here yeah. we go. And, and then you got Cagney, who's the guy who's just pressing and pressing and pressing and making him make those decisions. And Yeah, that's a movie I'm like 100% in for, three-hour-long film, sign me up. Like, I'm ready to watch that. But yeah, this movie takes these different routes that you're like, what the hell is going on? Which is why I enjoyed the basketball scene because I just kind of gave it up. I was like, oh, whatever. This is just kind of going to go wherever it wants. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't know. The story, the screenplay doesn't make much sense. So I just kind of kind of went with it. So I had a lot of fun because it reminded me of the office basketball scene and the It's Always Sunny basketball scene. So yeah, that was, that was a blast. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So we've got our categories. Uh, best scene, best performance, best music moment, and best line. Yes. And uh, where would you like to start on this? Yeah, I'll start with best line and finish with best scene. Um, okay. I'll, I'll start it off here. Um, was best line slash quote? Uh, this is this is coming from from Father Jerry towards the end of the film, right? You know, it's the all right, fellas, let's go say a prayer for a boy who couldn't run as fast as I could. I just just amazing and you feel like it inspired so many quotes and lines that have been written over over time in this genre i have exactly the same line <laughs> i thought that line it's, was incredible yeah me too when it happened i was like oh shit i forgot i got to do the categories and i was like i gotta write that one down that was <laughs> that was genius i had like all of mine were different by the time i was like middle of the movie by the end of the movie then i was like all right things got better i i feel you i feel you but um, I but the line I had before that was when um, the kid when uh, what's the what's Cagney's character's name in this? Rocky. Rocky. Sold it. So when Rocky gives the envelope containing the uh, the money mm. and information to the kids, and he's going to get it, and the kid's like, "What's in the envelope?" And he's like, "Listen here, kid. <laughs> Keep sticking your nose in somewhere. Someday someone's gonna bite it off, or something like that." He's like, yeah. not forget this. He's basically saying, like, I will kill you if you if you don't stop asking questions. Like, yeah, it's. I thought that was good, but just the kind of you know reflective uh, tone of you know, let's say a prayer for a boy who couldn't run as fast as I could. It's like you know, there but for the grace of God go I. If the, you yeah. know, yes, by the, if he'd been snapped up by the cops, he would be the one going to the chair right now. It was. I liked that a lot. Me too. I thought that was. Yeah, extremely poignant and something that I love about this genre is when you have, especially, right, a fucking priest. <laughs> remember on the waterfront? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. Uh, re remember, uh, you know, Gangs of New York? Remember all these movies that have these different characters that are maybe religious or, or priest or whatever that always have these lines that are like, damn, that was, that was, that was heavy. <laughs> yeah kind of wrap yeah. up the film itself you know it's amazing damn straight enough said um best, best, music, best music moment 
Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll go first again here, and I'll, I'll let you finish out this one on, uh, on this episode. Uh, I, I really liked when the, the shootout's happening, and you have the music is heightening and heightening and heightening, and then the decrescendo, and then boom, 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 boom. It's classic, uh, classic cinema, classic Hollywood, that whole bit. And I honestly struggled to find any bit of music that I felt was super original. Yeah, so that was a lot I, of that. I kind of went with I kind of went with the moment. That's why that's why we call it music moment. It doesn't have to be specifically the music itself, because if that were the case, then I'd probably just go with the opening credits because that was great. I always love when a nice orchestra is opening up the film. But the shootout, I felt like again, and it influenced and inspired so many films that came after even if we've seen it, you know, a few times before. There are so few recognizable original scores before like the 60s because, you know, all of their efforts were being put into musicals. So like the best composers mm-hmm. were going to those films. So a lot of these films just kind of had like, you know, whoever was working on the lot on the day they were writing the score. There wasn't a lot of effort yes. put into that. But uh, yeah. I did find something. I, I liked the, um, the death march towards the end as uh, Rocky's being led to the chair. There's this oh, yeah. orchestra that's just like, you know, the end of an era kind of thing, you know, that he's, it's over. The, the, I called it the subtle death march where it's not really overt, but you can, you can hear the like, you know, like the, the really small, like uh, what's the term? Like low tones and Rocky yeah. kind of just, you know, stone faced, but inside, you know, panic. You can you can feel it. I thought that was pretty good. Oh. And I guess yeah. that takes no, that's, that, performance. That's a great call, and I think right here it's got to be Cagney. I just don't. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't see any other any you know if ands or buts. There's no 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 reason to be cute here and say Bogey, even though I love him to death and he's becoming one of my favorite actors of all time because of this show. I, I just, Cagney is on the screen. He's carrying the film. He's doing so much work. He's working with a script that I don't think is that strong. And he, he there's moments, obviously. There's, there's a few moments where there are some strong lines. But overall, it seems, you know, sloppy at times. And Rocky, the character himself, is just going all over the place. It's like the last season of Game of Thrones. So, you know. I wouldn't say it's that bad. Know, uh <laughs> So yeah, Cagney is 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 fan fucking tastic as Rocky. He is. He is. Um, I don't think Pat O'Brien particularly stands out. I mean, he's in a Titan sandwich here, um, but he he yeah. does okay. Um, I just don't think his character tries as hard as he should. He knows what kind of person Rocky is, and I just feel like he doesn't put as much effort into keeping him away from these kids as he should. Yeah, yeah. I think he wants to believe his friend can be saved, but he clearly can't. Uh, and I guess that takes us to best scene. What do you think? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, shame on me, but I'm going silly here. The basketball scene. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to shout out uh, one for the cuckoo's nest. My favorite basketball scene of all time is, you know, put the ball in the basket. And I, I really, really love the game of basketball, the sport itself. I love the NBA. We're in the finals right now. Uh, when this gets released, the, the Lakers will be up 2-0 on the heat going into game three on their way to the championship. And I, I adore the game so much. And 
when it was thrown in this movie, uh, again, I was just kind of like felt a little bit lost and this just kind of made me just kind of let loose. And, and I mean, Cagney is like just punching the shit out of kids that are playing basketball, like teenage boys, like 15, 14, 15 year old boys. He's just kicking them, clothes lining them. It reminded me so much of the It's Always Sunny bit when Charlie is just, you know, the Charlie, the, the It's Always Sunny basketball scene when Charlie's just picking up the ball because he's high on cocaine and he's just running around and throwing it up and there's kids with like spikes in their armbands, you know, <laughs> I thought, I thought of all of those things. I thought of the, the office bit where, you know, when Stanley starts dribbling and his hand goes way up here, you know, and Michael is throwing the ball and he's like, basketball is like jazz, you know, and football is like rock and roll. I thought of all of these things throughout, throughout TV shows and movies, like basketball scenes. And because of that, I felt like a special way. And I was laughing really, really hard when this scene was happening by myself in a dark room just like at 1 a.m you know watching angels the dirty faces <laughs> you know just what you typically do on a on a uh, friday night so I, I i just i thought that was really fun and this movie is a little bit aimless it seems where it wants to really go so i, I try to make a fun pick and something that connects to me which is basketball because uh, if i was on the court with those guys i'd fucking kick their ass you know <laughs> yeah. They're, yeah. they're being such punks <laughs> Uh, so the other team is there to play basketball and they're just getting thrown to the fucking ground by these douchebags. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm saying. I, I would want to be on the team that's trying to play by the rules and be like, come on guys, like stop being a bunch of dickheads. You know, <laughs> you got the, the kid, the kid, the kid with the headband from the dead end kids. Who's just like, what did I do? Huh? Come on. What did I do? I didn't do nothing. He just keeps grabbing the ball and traveling like a fucking idiot. God. <laughs> that phrase. I didn't do nothing. Comes up so much. I didn't do movie. nothing. I didn't do nothing. Yeah, like, geez, shut up. That's <laughs> uh, hilarious. So I've got a tie. I've got one dramatic and one comedic. Okay. Um, the first, my dramatic is the ending when Rocky is led to the chair and he breaks. Oh, because, my God. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's a great performance from Cagney. It's all in shadow. You don't see him at all. And... Uh, it's, there's kind of two schools of thought with this one. Like, did he break for real or did he break so he could help the father save those kids? Mm. And even Cagney was like, well, I don't know. That's up to you. <laughs> and I don't know. Like, do you, what do you think? Do you think it was real or do you think he, he sacrificed himself for those kids? That's a great question. And I, I, I feel like it's very hard because the film itself doesn't give you any real clues because it is so sloppy. Right. Yeah. There's there. You don't feel like you can reference anything like, Oh, this is why, you know, this is why I have this opinion, which is another reason why the movie itself, I don't feel totally drawn to rewatch it or, or, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't know how to exactly feel about Angel with the Dirty Faces, even though I enjoyed aspects of it overall. It's just like, what, what exactly we're doing here? Because that ending for sure is a great scene and Cagney is selling it, but what exactly are we getting across? I think it was. Uh, I think it was to save the kids. I think you think it was sacrifice. Film, I think throughout yeah. the film, Rocky proves that he is above emotion and all that shit. He does not care to die. Like he doesn't. You know, he's been through hell already. He doesn't give a shit anymore. So, I think in the end, facing death. I mean, all the shit he went through to get there. He knew what he was in for, and he tells the father straight up, like, "I'm not scared, and I'm not going to break for these newspapermen. Like, they're not going to see me." Cry. But once he realizes, you know, 
these kids are headed down the exact same path that I went down and there's a chance. I think he was like, you know what? Fuck it for the kids. That's what I think. One more. Yeah. Just like, I'm going to make one last decision here. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's that. Hopefully. Yeah. I'm hoping that's how it ended. (laughs) Here's hoping. And my other favorite, (laughs) it was when uh, the father goes to the bar or the the parlor and sees the kids playing uh, pool and is like, come on, kids, you don't want to be here. And they're like, cram it, Padre, we're doing our thing, you know? And he's like, and he leaves. And one of the patrons says, what's the matter, father? Couldn't get them to go to heaven with you? And and he just decks that guy. (laughs) See a priest just knock a motherfucker out. It brought me right back to on the waterfront and just yep. <laughs> made, made me laugh. I was like, fuck, I like the, all right. I like this guy. Yeah. So, what are you on yet? What are you on yet? Period. <laughs> what were you drinking? Cranberry juice. Oh, there are guys you can yeah, hit and there's it, guys you can't. And that ain't quite a guy you can't hit, but it isn't, <laughs> you know, it's, oh, God. so good. So good. Yeah, gangster, gangster movies, right, man? I mean, it's, uh, I'm certain glad, certainly glad we got to see this and got to dive into it, see it for ourselves, have the perspective. But I think we feel pretty similarly uh, about this one. Uh, and we also feel that Boys Town is very, very special. And, and we feel that White Heat is something that we'll, we'll definitely come back to when we go to the 40s because it is, it's a gem. If you are going to dig into Cagney, he's done a lot. He's done a lot of films, but if you are yeah. going to do Cagney gangster run, absolutely start with white heat. That'll tell you yeah, everything you need to know about what this man's capable of. And then just kind of, yep. you know, find your own path from there. But that's your, yes. that's your starting point. Cause dear Lord, it will prepare you for a guy who does not get enough appreciation these days for what he gave to cinema. A hundred percent. Awesome. And, you know, Angels with Dirty Faces wasn't perfect. There were some great moments, but it did have a, some serious story problems and a very big lack of focus. I'm going to give it a seven. Yeah. Yeah, I, I give it a seven for now, and I, I don't see it moving much because I don't see myself revisiting it over and over or anything like that. But I am glad we got to do it here on the show. Uh, we're always going to try to reach out for those those movies that are that are big, monstrous Oscar movies and also the more underground ones, where in this case it's just a – three-time nominated at the 11th Academy Awards. So I hope you guys had fun. You know, we're, we're certainly going to be tackling, you know, monster, like I said, monster 30s movies. But but this, there will be the occasional, you know, the occasional movie that people just haven't really heard of. And and I will say now, uh, moving forward, you know, this is, this is a, a formula of going from decade to decade kind of randomly. Moving forward, uh, after our next... I, th- I believe it is, let me look here. It'll be, we'll, we'll do one more 20s movie. And then after that, we're going to combine the 30s and 20s together because the 20s within the Oscars only has a couple of years of films. So we want to go ahead and shorten that, shorten that gap uh, and, and do that. So expect whenever we are in the 30s, we'll also be occasionally pulling from the 20s as well, but mostly 30s still. Uh, just a heads up for the future. That's just going to be something we do with this decade. Yeah. And that's totally, you know, understandable. Uh, Cause we would run out of twenties movies really fast. And exactly, uh, exactly. This will be a chance to, cause we don't want to tackle all of those films necessarily. Cause you know, film is just figuring itself out. We saw, you know, wings was special because it was the first winner 
But a lot of those films, you know, are going to be a very tough to find and B, mm-hmm. I think tough to watch. So yes, we will, uh, you know, we'll kind of play it by year when it comes to the twenties films. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, play with, play with as much 30 stuff as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about what happened this week in film. Uh, quite yes. a lot. So first up, let's talk trailers. We have the craft legacy, uh, a remake slash reboot slash sequel of the craft 1996, uh, which movie, which I thought was pretty good. This looks horrendous. <laughs> yeah. No comment. <laughs> this looks just <laughs> terrible. It's going to bomb so hard and you know, virus or no virus. This would have bombed hard. And I just, yep. I, yeah, I don't know why they keep trying this. N- not every movie deserves to be revisited, especially if you're no. going to do it like this. Looks no, like either, no, no. yeah, looks like a carbon copy, like straight up the you know, they're doing exactly the same thing. Um, then we had a uh, Borat subsequent movie film, <laughs> a secret Borat sequel that Sasha Baron Cohen has been filming over the past year in uh, coronavirus torn America. And this is going to be ridiculous, but I'm, I'm in. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm super, super in weird timing, but yeah, I'm in. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, um, it's going to be a prime original. So it'll be a Amazon movie. Uh, there's a scene in the, in the preview that actually made the news a few months back when a Trump impersonator showed up at a Mike Pence rally and uh, made, some, made some noise. And that scene, now we know that was Sasha Baron Cohen doing that for the Borat 2 movie. Who would have fucking thought? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Incredible. And then uh, we had another remake, The Witches which is going to be debuting on HBO Max towards the end of this month. Uh, again, I think it just looks kind of generic. I don't think it yes. looks special at all, despite, you know, Anne Hathaway, Octavia Spencer, Stanley Tucci, directed by Robert Zemeckis. I just don't, I don't see it. It looks so, like, meaningless. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, who's it for? What are we really doing here? Who is it for? And this, exactly. And this, and this, this, you know, God damn, I love some of the, you know, those performers are, are awesome. I just, I always want performers to be doing stuff. Yeah. That's super creative and challenging and different. And yeah, I don't know. Frustrating. Robert Zemeckis is one of my favorite filmmakers, but I fucking hate remakes. Yeah. No kidding. Ugh. All right. Those are our trailers. Uh, now for some interesting uh, news. So, Barry Jenkins has been tapped to be directing a sequel to Disney's The Lion King. <laughs> I was not expecting to read that news. <laughs> no, me neither. Me neither. But hey, you know, the guy, the guy has made two, two masterpiece films this past decade. And fuck, man, he's about to make a shit ton of money, which means... Which means whenever that happens, when Lion King 2, whenever he's done with that product, then he's going to be able to do so many things that he wants to do. That's how this works. That's how this works a lot of the time. That's how it's worked with so many directors. For Hey, even the guy, John Favreau, who's a genius and directed the first Lion King, he, Iron Man, you know, I mean, this guy has had his, has had his foot in so many amazing things, had his hand in so many amazing things. And 
and he does that and then he's able to go go and do chef a passion project you know and which is a great film and i i see this obviously on a way different scale barry jenkins is a master of his of his craft and i just i see him being able to you know, fund three movies after being able to doing Lion King and having all this IP, this press, people being like, holy shit, Barry Jenkins isn't just the guy who makes, you know, these kind of indie, you know, incredible black movies. He made Lion King too. So I get it. I wish he was doing other stuff, of course. Of course, because I adore him and Moonlight's one of my all-time favorite movies ever. But but good for him, man. He's about to get fucking paid. <laughs> Two things. One... I had completely forgotten John Favreau did the Lion King remake because after I saw it, I completely just put it out of my mind because I fucking hated it so much. Two, yeah, I was more surprised at the fact that they were making a Lion King sequel than I was about Barry Jenkins directing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And they're using the same technology, all that stuff. So you know, Barry's really gonna have to like really do some work if he wants it to be a a, a good product because I just don't think that first one's worth much time. Yeah. I hope they try a little bit harder this time. The remake was just a carbon copy of the original, but without any of the charm. And I just, yeah, it was yeah. so soulless. And yes. I don't know. I happen to like the direct to video Lion King animated sequel, Simba's Pride. I happen to like that movie. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to adapt that or parts of it or try to do their own thing, but you know, who knows? Um, we'll see. Yeah. Zac Efron has been cast as the lead in the upcoming Firestarter remake. Very interesting about this. Uh, I happen to like remakes when the first film is kind of shit. So, and Firestarter is yeah, exactly yeah. it, but it's a weak movie. Uh, well, yeah, it actually needs a redo. Yeah. George C. Scott playing the Native American villain John Rainbird. Are you fucking kidding me? With like a Native American braid. It's the most offensive shit. But, um, Hopefully they can do better, but Zac Efron's going to be playing the dad whose uh, daughter has pyrokinetic powers. Uh, cool. I'm okay with that. I thought he was, he's becoming like, you know, a really good performer. Oh, hell yeah. I love Zac Efron. I think he's made some really, really interesting decisions throughout his twenties and thirties. Uh, after what he could, he could have, he could have just, you know, I don't know. He could have taken a really weird route after, uh, high School Musical, but he actually was like, oh, I'm going to use the stardom and actually do some cool shit. And I, I thought his, I, I, I love that. I love his turn as Bundy. I thought he did such a great job in uh, Extremely Wicked, Boy? Shockingly Evil and Vile. Hmm? Yeah, oh yeah, he's great in that. Uh, have you seen the, uh, the Paperboy? No, I have not. Yeah, he's, he's wonderful in that. He's, the movie's really odd, but he, he's, yeah, he's conjuring up some great stuff. He's worked with Linklater. He's done all kinds of different cool stuff and I, I i've always found him to be extremely charismatic and i i like can't keep my eyes off him when he's on the screen even if it's a movie as simple as mike and dave need wedding dates like he's just charismatic he's just good yeah i loved him in neighbors i haven't watched that one in a long time oh. the movie was so funny <laughs> yeah he's he's spectacular him and dave franco are a wonderful duo Next up, and this was probably the most surprising news of the week, Jamie Foxx is going to be returning to the role of Electro in Marvel's upcoming Spider-Man 3. This will be the second character who has jumped from the previous Spider-Man universe to the MCU, following J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. And this has a whole lot of possibilities hidden inside of it. So Jamie Foxx has already come out and said that this version of Electro will not be blue and will be 
very different from his past version. It's cool to see Electro again, although, you know, I would have liked to have seen a villain who we hadn't seen yet. I was looking forward to maybe Craven the Hunter or uh, Hobgoblin, somebody like that. You know, I, but, M, you know, MCU has not failed yet with their Spider-Man movies. They've done two fantastic films. So I'm hoping, you know, we finally get a good Spider-Man 3 and maybe this is opening some like multiverse doors where we're going to get to see Toby and Garfield. I don't know. Who knows? But we are going to get Jamie Foxx with a Electro redo. Not a lot of actors get to do that in superhero movies. No, but it's, but it's Jamie fucking Foxx and he's amazing. You know, I'm motherfucker Jones. He is, he's incredible. You've seen Horrible Bosses. That's a great movie. Motherfucker Jones. I haven't thought about that guy in a while. <laughs> Jamie Foxx Jamie Fox deserves it, man. I think, it, I, I do not think he's the problem or really any singular actor. Those movies had no idea what they wanted to do. No idea what actual, you know, vision was, you know, what they were going for. And they had just a really talented cast of people and just had no idea what direction to take. So I can't really blame Jamie. And I would, I, I'm really excited to see him take this on. I think he's wonderful. I think that was, what, 2012 that movie came out, something like that, 2014? 14 was the second one, yeah. 14, 14 yeah. So, you know, that's six years ago. Like, I, I think that's enough time for someone to kind of toy with the character again and, and go at it, really, really go at it. Like you said, with these two foundations, you know, of two good Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland. So, yeah, it's exciting. And maybe they'll be setting up, you know, a Sinister Six thing. I mean, we know Michael Keaton's Vulture's still out there. We got yes. like, Doubt Mysterio is dead. Scorpion's in jail. Like, there's the, like, the pieces are there. So who knows? Electro might be, you know, in on this. I, I do hope they do a better job with Electro's origin story because in 2014, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Jesus Christ, to have him be this, yeah, like, no. goofy little Spider-Man stalker who falls in a vat of electric eels. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Yeah, that was a joke. That was a joke. Not Jamie's fault. My, my biggest issue with this is this is probably going to push that fucking Spawn movie back again. Are we ever going to get to see Jamie Foxx play Spawn? Is that ever going to happen? A few more years. <laughs> I feel like I've been waiting for that movie my whole fucking life. Yeah, yeah. God, damn it. Well, all the you know, best of luck to Jamie Foxx getting a redo. You know, we saw it happen with Deadpool, where Ryan Reynolds got to redo the character his way and ended up being a huge success. So, you know, it, there is precedent. So, you know, maybe this will be like that. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, speaking of superhero movies getting a redo, Billy Crudup is returning to play Henry Allen in the upcoming Flash movie. Uh, he previously played the role in Justice League, but, you know, it looked like the DCEU was going to just abandon everything they've been doing, but now this Flash movie is looking like the light at the end of the tunnel where we're going to get to see, you know, Ben Affleck return and Michael Keaton play Batman again. And this is looking like it's going to be a very exciting movie. <laughs> yeah, definitely could be. Got a lot of potential. And it is nice to see that continuity with, you know, Billy Crudup coming back to play Flash's dad. Hell Which yeah. also makes me I, think I, we are probably going to get a reverse Flash in this movie. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was about to say. And man, Crudup has got such a freaking weird and awesome career. It's all over the place. He's the kind of actor who I do not recognize his face, but I recognize his name immediately. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get that. Totally get that. 
Uh, next up, and this was inevitable, but I was really, really, really hoping it wasn't happening. No Time to Die has been delayed yet again to April 2nd, 2021. And because of this delay, uh, Regal Cinemas has decided to close all U.S. and U.K. locations. They were hoping No Time to Die was going to be the movie that was going to rejuvenate the box office sales. Now that's not going to happen. Now the fall has no tentpole and the movie theaters are as good as dead. Yes. So this is a dark day for cinema. Very, very sad. Uh, you know, thankfully in San Antonio, we've still got the Santicos locations for the time being, but a lot of places, you know, Regal was their movie theater. So this is, you know, pretty fucking heartbreaking. I, I loved Regal theaters, you know, for years. They're my spot. Now it's going to be weird. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. Think about, think about Northwoods. Holy shit. I went there so many times as a kid. I have to throw away my crown club card. That's going to, that's going to make me cry. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, man. Ugh, I had like 6,000 points. <laughs> I've been stockpiling points since I lived in Maryland, dude. Like this was a long time coming and I'm never going to get that free soda. <laughs> You know, it, it, grief hits different people differently. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. <laughs> but, you know, them's a breaks. I'm honestly surprised the theaters lasted as long as they did. Yeah, man, no kidding. <sighs> you know, with the age of streaming, I, would, I, I don't want it to happen, but COVID might finally kill the theater industry. It, it could, very well could. I don't want to totally put my mind there yet, but it could. You're right. If it does, once things go back to normal, I, I'm, I want to try to corner that market. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how, <laughs> but I'm going to try to figure something out. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Likewise, brother. Always wanted to own a movie theater, like a small theater that, play, that has like three, three screens, just, you know, soda, popcorn, candy, and plays like old movies. That's I've always, that's yes. been a dream of mine for a long time. So who knows? Yeah, man. <laughs> well, that is all that happened this week in film. It was a lot. Um, what are we doing roster Sunday next week? Next week, uh, we're traveling to 1970 to talk about five easy pieces in the 43rd Academy Awards. One of Jack Nicholson's first, you know, big time performances. So we're going to have a lot of fun next week and be watching these films. So I'll let you name the other four, uh, films that we're going to tackle yes so uh five easy pieces was a best picture nominee the, yes uh, we're going to talk about the other five film the i mean the other four films it was up against we have mash love story airport and the winner Patton. so interesting bunch uh i'm sure it'll be fun and then of course you know we'll get to talk about our favorite jack nicholson performances and some of his early yes. work so it's going to be a good show and uh also on Filmgasm this week, we are doing the Korean thriller Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Uh, Can't wait. First installment in Chanwook Park's Vengeance Trilogy alongside Lady Vengeance and Old Boy. So, yeah, tune in for that on Wednesday. And, uh, yeah, this was fun. Going back tonight to the 30s, talking about Cagney, hell of a performer. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see you next Sunday. Peace.